This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. I just passed 100 episodes a few weeks back, and I'm using the occasion to draw attention to past episodes for those of you who weren't around here from day one. We're two episodes into that retrospective process, and it looks like we likely have another couple to go. There's going to come a point where we're just not looking back so far that I feel like I need to hold your hands and help you find those episodes. But that's not where we are today. For me, listening to the early episodes again has largely been a good experience. And although there are production and performance choices I do differently now, much of what's there still works for me and I'm proud of what I've heard. In 2019 though, I think the show found its stride. I was less likely to repeat myself from episode to episode, which is something that made me crazy when I revisited the first 10 or so shows, and my production chops were improving. A good friend, engineer Thomas Walsh, had to save a few interviews from Audio Hell, but they, the guests, and the show is becoming more reliable. It also became more reliably what I wanted it to be. When I think about it, I think that Christmas music just starts the conversation and that what my guests and I really end up talking about is creativity, art, music, culture, and life in America. Christmas music is certainly an important part of the conversation, but it's the tool that opens up these areas of discussion, not the real subject of the talk. A good example is my discussion with Isaac Hansen of Hansen. The world is divided into people who think Hansen fell in a hole sometime after Mbop, while pop purists love them for flying the power pop flag well into the 2000s and continuing to fly it now. They have a new album, Red, Green, Blue, due out May 20th, followed by a world tour that starts in Finland on June 8th before returning to the States to play Houston July 12th, and they'll be here in New Orleans on July 14th. Isaac and I talked about their first Christmas album, Snowed In, and the record company's instigation of that, and 2017's Finally It's Christmas, and the challenge of writing Christmas songs. One thing that amused me when putting that episode together was looking at the difference in the sound files from the 1990s and the 2000s, and the way the amount of compression on snowed-in tracks made it look as though the waveforms were boldly drawn with a chisel-tipped Sharpie. I love this part of the conversation, where Isaac talked about taking liberties with other people's songs when adapting them for their Christmas music. The mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight, that's enough. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. How do you take a song that's as well known as a Christmas song and make it yours? Well, I'll take the most dramatic one, I think, um, or at least one of the most dramatic ones, uh, which is the song uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Paul McCartney song, uh, on, and, and uh, it is on the Finally It's Christmas album, for example. And uh, that song doesn't really have much percussion in it or, or rhythm, like tracks in the original that Paul McCartney did. It's kind of built around these kind of interesting kind of synth and, and, and to, to be frank, it was, it was always one of those Christmas songs where I was always a little bit like this melody is great, 
But something about the production always kind of threw me a little bit. And of course, it's a classic, right? And it's kind of, it's partially a classic because it was Paul McCartney, but it's also partially a classic because it is so unique in the way that it was done. We found ourselves in an interesting spot as we were making fun of this Christmas going, okay, we think that this song would be a really great one to have, but what do you do with this? And we had been messing with um, Up on the Rooftop um, and, and had kind of been kind of doing the you know Motown, Jackson 5 kind of style approach to that, which is how the Jackson 5 did it. We're like, oh, that'd be that'd be fun. But then we realized that we could do something even more interesting with that feel. And we could take the Paul McCartney song yeah. and ah, put ah. it in a Motown context. And all of a sudden, to me, I, I really, uh, I instantly was like, oh my gosh, I love this. This really, really works. And it gives, it gives the melody of uh, Wonderful Christmas Time um, a really interesting, different opportunity to, to kind of shine because the rhythm is so constant. It's just this nonstop dink, 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 dink kind of thing. And then being uh, the ballsy people that we are, I guess, we decided, well, you know what? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if this had like a more dramatic kind of chorus in it? And so we inserted a chorus idea that we'd been playing with uh, for a potential original kind of song and said, well, if you put this with that groove, you know, into Wonderful Christmas Time, it really, it's kind of cool. It kind of really works. And you're just like looking around going, well, you know, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't, we don't get crucified for this, but it feels great to us. And so that's really all you can do is just go, all right, you know, tip to the hat. Hey, hey, Paul, hope we didn't screw up your song too bad. Right. You know, Ho- hope the- you're not like, oh, hope you're not pissed when you hear this version. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you, was there a moment of pause to think about, uh, about rewriting Paul McCartney? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Of course there is. But we just, we, we found ourselves going, but it, especially, especially when you added the, the rhythm that we added, it really needed a different, it needed another lift. Right. It, it needed a, a more dramatic chorus kind of thing, which, you know, I will say we did a similar thing, um, of all things to a Stevie Wonder song also on the original, uh, the first Christmas record that we did snowed in, um, uh, if you listen to what Christmas means to me, we added in an additional refrain. Uh, it's not quite as dramatic as what we did on on, on Wonderful Christmas Time, but there is a, a there is an additional ref, uh, refrain that's after uh, one full round of the kind of verse, melody, chorus stuff that uh, is in the original C V Wonder song. And so, I guess I guess this is just I. That's just apparently we're crazy enough to yeah. just say, uh, uh, "Hey, uh, if it, <laughs> it's it's okay, it's okay to try and rewrite something if we feel like it's not quite working," you know. 
well, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, you know, I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, Aretha practically rewrote Respect. Right, right. I mean, that song it, it done in the, you know, Otis Redding style is a completely different melody in, in most cases. It's not, it's not exclusively, but there, there are a bunch of things about that melody that are really different. And so, you know, you just, as an, I guess as an artist, you have to be willing to break it. Right. You know, in order to make it your own. And it's that weird thing of you have to have both enough self-awareness to say to yourself, okay, I can't do it the way they did it because I'm not them. But I, and, and I need to make it my own. And so how do I both make it my own without hurting it? You know, sure. without making it worse. And there is a fine line, and, and that definitely and that definitely can happen. You can find yourself going, whoa, what did I do? And yeah. hopefully you find yourself doing that before the record is done and out. <laughs> right. I really enjoyed my conversation with Americana singer Chuck Mead of BR549 fame, who remembered having his cover of Eddie Arnold's Will Santa Come to Shantytown, A&R'd by Cheetah Chrome of the Dead Boys. And as much as I like that story and talking to Chuck, for me, the real money in that conversation was him telling me that he couldn't play a Christmas show because his drummer, Martin Lines, already had a holiday gig playing the soundtrack to A Charlie Brown Christmas for a few weeks each year as a band called The Ornaments. I tracked down lines and piano player Jen Gunderman, who talked about playing the gig for a few weeks each December for 14 or so years at the time of the interview. We're a trio, a piano trio that exists one month out of the year in December for going on 14 years now in Nashville. Um, every December we play a series of shows where we play the Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas album live from beginning to end. And at every show we invite different friends of ours on different instruments to come and sit in and, and stretch it out um, and uh, play with the music a little bit. I was going to say, because the album by itself is about a half hour, right? That's right, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the, the soloists were a way for us to help, you know, also, because we were starting to do them so many nights, keep it fresh, have that fourth person come in, expand the songs a little bit, the show's a little longer. We're, we're having something new happen every night for the people who are coming and for us and for everyone. So it's, it's kind of like a whole win-win thing as far as adding that. I, I'm also not primarily a jazz musician, and so my limitations definitely play a role. But I also keep the sheet music up there so that I never stray too far away from like the specific language of Vince Guaraldi's right. piano parts because I know that the audience is really attached to certain, like even voicings of chords that just like hit your heart and specific way so i kind of keep it there to keep my eye on it just just make sure i'm not taking a lot of liberty but then we build into every song pretty much like 
or almost every song, like places where we really go off script and okay, yeah, now yeah. just like take it wherever you want to take it. You know, we'll, you know, like you do, you, you just like loop certain sections for solos and, and let people speak the way that they want to completely however they want to and then we come back to the more scripted thing so we, for me there's pretty clear boundaries between like okay this is the part that sounds like the record and then this is the part that's really right. different <laughs> okay at the, at the end of Linus and Lucy at the very end of the song if you hear the drummer hit the cymbal bell with a little ding always make sure that happens because that happens on the record and people know that you know it's it's a little tiny thing but it's a thing but then on Christmas time this year, we have some like Austin Hope. He he plays saw. He plays the saw on it. You know, cool. So that's just going to completely take it in a new direction. Here's what the story kind of is like from my perspective. Anyway, is that you know Marty and I were in a band on the road and um, we were listening to the Garaldi record and. Um, I mentioned offhandedly that I had sheet music for that stuff and we should get together and jam on it sometime because we all agreed it was the best Christmas record ever made. And, like, I'll tell you, too, something that I don't talk about all the time, but um, my father passed away on Christmas morning in 2003. And so this, we were in the van in 2005, I think it was, and hearing the Garaldi music was like the first time I could hear anything Christmas related and not just like sink, like just sink. And so it caught my attention. I was like, Oh, this music is okay. This isn't going to like piss me off or like make me upset. Uh, And so I was having that thought. Meanwhile, the singer in the band that we were in called up, because this is back when Nashville was a lot more free rolling, especially in the east side in the neighborhood that we live in. Uh, so the singer called a club owner, like a little bitty club owner, and we had a gig booked before we knew what was happening. And then we thought, oh, well, oh, crap, now we got to actually learn this stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and so we did. And I and people liked it and they asked us to come back and they kept asking us to do it like more and more often. And I feel like my whole process with this music has kind of been like, well, they keep liking it. I'll keep trying to like, you know, push myself and like make it interesting. And I feel like I've been pulled along by people who want to hear this stuff. An interview that meant a lot to me was with Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker of the indie band Low, who's just like Christmas, is one of the great modern additions to the Christmas canon. The interview featured one of the first times on the show, maybe the only time on the show, that someone had been overcome by emotion during our conversation. The song Taking Down the Tree from Lowe's 1999 EP, Christmas, clearly brought back memories that he had a hard time expressing. Rather than revisit that, though, I'd rather focus on the role the EP played in their career.
you decided to do a Christmas EP. You decided to do it. And at that point, you were, that was your fourth or fifth release? And yeah, we were a few, yeah. yeah, four or five records. In, right. mm-hmm. And we had been kind of dabbling, been dabbling. dabbling a bit in re- kind of home recording. Yeah. And uh, so we were, yeah, that was sort of a, the right moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I've talked a number of times to musicians who found that they that it, it to get other people in the band to work with them on Christmas music was work or to hire people to play the music with them in some cases was work because for better or worse, we sort of associate Christmas music frequently with our parents and it feels like it's part of another world and sort of not, you know, it's not necessarily the cool music and, you know, and it ended up being kind of a negotiation in a lot of cases to get it to happen. And so I was wondering, it's, it sounds like this is some conversation y'all had or something y'all had to think through, but mm-hmm. how did you put together sort of in the middle of, you know, sort of at a point when you're sort of, you know, you're, you've started a career, but you've still got room to go and deciding we are now going to do Christmas music. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it, I remember feeling kind of like a little bit of a, going out on a limb, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, well, like I said, we had, we had kind of been eased into it. You know, we had done, someone asked us to do a single and that, that ended up being a good experience. And then someone asked us to do a song for a compilation and was like, Oh, okay. Well that mm-hmm. wrote another song. And by, by at that point we realized, I, I guess we could, you know, to me, to me at first, the big question was like, could we write a Christmas song? Is that possible? You know? And I guess once we, had done one or two, then sort of the possibility that, well, I guess we could, could do a whole record. And, you know, and again, like Mim said, it was, it was a little bit ahead of kind of fully accepting, you know, I mean, I, I suppose every generation that there's, there's a certain point, you know, where you're, you're either fighting against, you're fighting against the nostalgia or the, or the past. And at some point you, you start then looking back and you're able to sort of, reconcile with yeah. with parts of the past that, that you can kind of connect with what you're doing uh so yeah it, it seemed a little novel when we were younger uh but then you know at this point at this age it, it wouldn't seem that odd to you know, you know we've, we've done a bunch of we've done a lot of covers at this point so it's not so weird you know we've done a rihanna cover we've done joy division covers we've done Oh, now, yeah, BGs, sure. You know, just, just. Well, I don't consider it. Christmas as covers, really. Well, you know. Yeah, but there's I mean, a little bit of a sense that you're step, you're stepping out of like here's our, here's our general band sort of pool agenda, not her agenda. I don't know, pool of. Here's what we do, and I don't know. Go doing the Christmas thing was intentional. It was, it was like, okay, let's write sure. stuff that's in this vein, which is, which. Which, which was weird, I think, which was, it's sure, a different stuff. It was, yeah, to me, it's I mean, similar to doing Well, that's because none, because in the past, really none of our songs were, we never chose a topic. Right. And, okay, we're going to sing about this now, or this song's going to be about yeah. this. Plus, you know, plus, so uh, when you're, when you're choosing a topic, it's definitely, yeah. you know. Uh, plus this covers on the record. I mean, it's interspersed with covers. Yeah. And, yeah. We thought, well, we can write a few songs and we'll just kicker i don't know i mean but yeah i remember i remember thinking oh i don't want this to be really cheesy i don't want it to be 
you yeah. know. And it was I wanted it, to it, be special and yeah, kind of sweet or something. Maybe we probably would have overthought it if we were this old. Yeah, <laughs> we would. We would. If we did it today, we'd ruin it. We probably, no would, we probably would have never got finished. Yeah. <laughs> it would sound not like Christmas at all. No. <laughs> and honestly, we thought, wow. Who's gonna buy this little Christmas? Uh, yeah, we were like, yeah, let's we, just do it. It was kind of like, let's just do it for fun. more of the fans. Yeah. You know, we will sell it at shows. Yeah. And, I mean, not that it's, you know, not that it's massive. It's massive, but it's really of all the recordings that we have, it's if it, it's definitely like paid for itself over and over. I mean, even this year, we've got like a little commercial that somebody's gonna use it for a song from it. You know. Yeah. So it's it's been kind of a yeah, and it was you know uh, John Peel over in over London had been playing us on his show, but when the Christmas record came out, he mm-hmm. was like, "This is really great," and he went to the daytime DJs and said, "You guys should be playing this during the daytime on BBC One," and, and it was in a, around BBC that's basically mm-hmm. BBC One's a TV station, but um, yeah, so the, the, there was a lot of doors that had opened for us, uh, you know. It, it, it initially was really pretty like the, the British press really liked it. And we kind of had this really, you know, it did okay in the U S and fans and whatnot, but there was sort of this jump right away there. And we, mm-hmm. you know, the next record that we regular record that we put out was taken a lot more seriously. And, you know, mm-hmm. now I, I read in another interview, you said at one point that little drummer boy saved the band. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah what we, did you mean by that? Well, we, you know, we, we had, uh, I think that record had been out for a year or two and we were, you know, we we're just kind of plugging away touring. Um, and we were pregnant. Mim, Mim got it would have just, it came out in 99. Yeah, no. So then we were, a year or two yeah, later, you got, you got pregnant. And Alice we were, was born in 2000. We had just found out that you were pregnant and just financially we were like, well, we're, we'll have to take at least, this, if we're going to take this much amount of time off, we're, we're probably not going to be able to afford this. And we were just starting to look at, look at options, you know, looking at, you know, okay, jobs, this and this and this. And, uh, but yeah, this, uh, we, and we were on tour actually and got a call that, uh, the gap was going to use a little drummer boy for a TV commercial. And, you know, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was, it was definitely enough money to where we're like, Oh, wow. oh no, it was we really good money well, back then. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It was, enough it was more money knew. than we had ever right. seen for sure. Yeah. And it was, it was enough to where we knew, Oh, okay. Well, if we have to take half a year off or eight months yeah, or whatever okay. it's, it's going to be it'll be fine and we'll we'll be able to it's interesting though because you know when we little drummer boy we once once the christmas we put it out, yeah. was out we we had a couple, a couple of people returns. send it back to us telling that telling us that that track number something i don't remember with there's something wrong four, with track, track four <laughs> yeah it was little drummer boy <laughs> yeah. it's because it's yeah it's because it was a little it was a little ahead of its time for, for, uh, for yeah. digital destruction mm-hmm. 
I've always admired indie rapper Megaran because he figured out how to make music about things he cared about. He's a pop culture guy, and he's found ways to work wrestling, comics, movies, and games into his music. Since he's not in the business of proving how tough he is, Megaran recorded A Very Random Christmas, and it's right on brand. We talked about why he recorded it and the role a Charlie Brown Christmas played in its creation. I remember getting the idea. I was on tour in the fall of 2011. It's like my first big tour. And we're all over the country, so it was a lot of long drives. And we just started kind of running out of music to listen to. And <laughs> I decided to one day turn on the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas in Scaraldi. And um, it's like October at the time when I'm playing it. And I was just like, I don't know, it just gives me good feelings. So I just wanted to play it during my drives. So as I got maybe a few songs in, I thought like, whoa, has anybody ever thought about like sampling these or making, you know, hip hop tracks out of them? And they had not. So I just, I got to work as soon as the tour ended, it ended on Halloween. And so I locked myself in the studio after Halloween and worked on getting it out by, I think, maybe Black Friday of that year. Wow. That's a nice turnaround. Yeah, yeah. So. That, yeah, that was the beginning of me, like, really marathoning to get out albums. Like, I'm really big on dates, you know? So if a, if a date is important to me, I really try my best. That helps me to, to really complete tasks, is to have a date in mind. So usually... Every project of mine releases on a special day, whether it's a date special to me or a holiday or something like that. Are you normally a fast worker? It depends, really. You know, like, if I'm excited about the work, yes. <laughs> but if I'm not, then uh, no. Then, you know, I, that's been since college, you know, like, coming up with term papers the day before has just kind of been a thing for me where like, if I wasn't excited about it, I'd do it, but I would do it at the last minute. And, you know, that's just always how it's been. But with music, I really enjoy it. So I, as long as it doesn't feel like a job to me, I can, I can work pretty fast. I've been writing songs for a long time, right? you know? And so people then get surprised when they see me in the studio, like, dude, you write so fast. And I'm like, well, I've been writing a long time. So there are a lot of ideas in my head that I haven't ever put to paper, you know? So it just tends to certain projects will bring that idea to light. And so I just start working on it. Is Charlie Brown Christmas a part of every song on Very Random Christmas? Yes, yes. There are pieces, elements, either through the title or through, like, some of the piano riffs that have been sampled or replayed. Uh, yes, A Charlie Brown Christmas is integral to the A Very Random Christmas album. So what I did later on through the years is I went to try to make this album what they call a living album. So in 2011, when it came out, 2012, I wrote one new song mm -hmm. and added it to that. And then... 2013, we wrote a new song and I added it to that. Uh, 2014, we added a song, and I think I stopped there. 
because the song, the album was starting to get really long. <laughs> so <laughs> I, did, I was like, I can't do a song every year. Like we'll have a 50, you know, track album at some point, but hello. And uh, yeah, so I didn't want to create an album that was too long, but, uh, but I did want to create something special where the album felt different every year. Oh, cool. Know? So something new that would make people want to listen to it again. So if you hear it now, you're hearing songs that were made in 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. Oh, cool. And I think 2015, too, yeah. We stop and wave to the people and offer a smile and wish them Merry Christmas today. Merry Christmas. Finally this week, I talked to bluegrass singer Rhonda Vincent about her two Christmas albums. The conversation took place in 2020, and I was a little surprised when her publicist told me that we had to get the interview done by a certain day because she was about to go out on tour. At that point, Gigs weren't supposed to be happening, and most cities had closed down their venues. I discovered when I looked at Vincent's tour that if you were willing to play C and D markets and small festivals in towns people really hadn't heard of, you could still be very busy. When we talked, she was excited to have been booked to play a residency in Branson, Missouri during the Christmas season. I never checked to see if those gigs actually happened or not. There was a lot of meat in my conversation with Rhonda, including her realization that when she played in her family's bluegrass band growing up, they never played Christmas music, something she'd never thought about. We also talked about bluegrass contributions to the Christmas canon. Up until this point, kind of the Christmas bluegrass song that I knew was Christmas Times a Coming, which, oh, yes. which you do on there. But I didn't sure. realize that Beautiful Star of Bethlehem had been nearly as recorded as it was, and it had the history it had. Um, so right. can you talk a little bit about the song? I mean, it's obviously it's a song that you say you've, that you did you know, when, you, when you were younger, and so it's been with you a long time. What can you tell me about the song? Well, I mean, Ralph Stanley did this song, and somehow I missed that. You know, I'm sure as a little girl, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, I'm going to listen to what we hear, what my dad hears, or what he loves, or what albums we get. And somehow, you know, like I say, now I know why, because we didn't have any Christmas albums. That's why. <laughs> Doggone it, Dad. <laughs> but, I, but I know now, that, same with me. As I look back, uh, Ralph Stanley did that song. So many people recorded. I think Larry Sparks recorded the song. So many people in bluegrass recorded it. But it wasn't until because I'm a huge fan of Emmylou Harris had bought every record. And when that song uh, Light of the Stable, I think is the name of that album. And it had Beautiful Star on it. I was awestruck and I loved it. And so then that then I I mean, that's the first song I had to record that song. There was nothing else I had to do on on a Christmas album, but I had to do Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. Oh, that's great. And, and so that's, yeah. 
So I was sure to include that there. But yeah, that song has been recorded by a lot of people. And it seems to be in bluegrass, that's usually... I get requests for that in July or throughout the year. They'll say, I, I love this. I love Beautiful Star. Could you just sing that? And, uh, and, we, and we do, and we can, and uh, we will. But that's great. But, uh, <laughs> um, but it is surprising that it's not, I mean, if, I think, if you think of a classic Christmas song, that's not exactly the one that you think of. Right. Yeah. Would it, that be, do you think it's just in bluegrass circles because that song's sort of in the acoustic uh, genre of music? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't found. I haven't found a version outside of the bluegrass world. Are there other sort of blue uh, bluegrass Christmas songs that I ought to know about? I mean, th- those are those are the two main Christmas songs. I can't really think of any others beyond that. Uh, used to be, you could listen if you listen to the Grand Ole Opry and Bill Monroe was on there. And then so Bill Monroe would do Christmas Times a Coming. Give it an hour, the next artist that came out, they'd do Christmas Times a Coming. <laughs> and and uh, so that used to be the song you would hear, you could hear it three or four or five times in a night. Wow. Uh, if you were listening to the opera, you know, they probably didn't listen. I mean, when Christmas Time came out, I got ready to um, do the do the Grand Ole Opry. And we had re- I, I used a studio band versus my band because my band had cr- the December the month of December off. Put together the studio band. We rehearsed. We had one song. We just rehearsed one song, and we rehearsed away in a manger. Do you know? Right before us, as we're waiting to go on, Connie Smith sang "Away in a Manger." Oh, oh man! And I said, guys, we we're going to have to have another. We just I mean, we had nothing else. We went out and sang Jingle Bells. Oh, that's funny. I mean, we hadn't rehearsed anything else. I was like, well, surely we can play Jingle Bells. But it, it, you know, there the songs. I think well, Christmas songs are not easy to sing. When you, I found that out with when I did Christmas time, because I delved into the very some very old Christmas classics, and this is what I. It's it's a little scary because I've only sang those one time in the studio, and and it was it was quite um, quite challenging. So I'm going to be performing them for 37 shows. So this is going to get really interesting uh, trying to, um, you know, get all this in my head and, and, and just the um, physically singing them, I found to be very, very difficult. So I'm, I've got to, going to have to rehearse. And that's a good place to leave it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this look back. And if you did, you might want to check out the two previous episodes for more 12 Songs history. Or you could just go back and start from the beginning. I'm taking a break next week. Mardi Gras has started already here in New Orleans. And Fat Tuesday is March 1st. I'm going to be part of my city for the next few days. And we'll return with more 12 Songs in two weeks. Thanks to AF The Naysayer for the theme music. And thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already done so, like, follow, subscribe, or do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. We're everywhere you get your podcast content, and if you tell Alexa or Siri to play the 12 Songs of Christmas podcast, they should be able to hook you up. I mentioned Chuck Mead and his role in leading me to the ornaments. This is his ska-influenced take on Eddie Arnold's honky-tonk Christmas classic, Will Santa Come to Shantytown? Talk to you in two weeks. 